What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I'm joined by A-Fish, and we talk 12 albums that let us down. You ever had one of those? You love an album, you wait two years for the follow-up, it comes out, and it just lets you down, man. It falls short. It's painful. It hurts. Now, hey, I was just on Average Joe's channel talking about what else? 80s glam metal. So I was a guest on there. I'll post a link in the description. You gotta check that out. But now, it's time for our discussion. If we don't always agree, check this thing out. Hey, Fish, welcome back to the 80s Glam Modelcast, man. Great to have you back. Man, am I the first one to be on this cast three times? I, I'm not sure. I'm thinking maybe Ryan has been on a couple times, too, to do the list. But, man, you're, you're right up there. You're high level. <laughs> I feel special. <laughs> so this is an interesting one. Uh, you know, the last time you and I talked, we did, you know, six bands that should have been huge. Uh, this is a little different. This is going to be 12 albums that let us down. And, you know, this doesn't mean that this album is horrible. It's just that it wasn't what we wanted. Maybe we liked the album before so much, and this one just fell a little flat. What, what do you think about this kind of scenario? It happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. Um you fall in love with albums, and then maybe they release a good one, a great one, and then one that just kind of is okay. And, you know, I've bought all these albums that we're going to talk about. Most of most of them I've bought. All of them of mine I have bought. But it just, you know, it just does not do it for me compared to the, um, the album that uh, preceded it. Yeah, and I guess I got to throw my disclaimer out is that, you know, by all means, I love the bands that we're going to talk about. Uh, I don't want to piss off any artists. I, I, they're still welcome onto the podcast if they ever want to come on. So I don't want, I don't want to make yeah. them mad. But hey, man, we're just going to be real, keeping it real. So in that, with that being said, A Fish, tell me the first album that let you down. I'm just going to go right from the top, man, and just get everybody involved. I'm going to do Ace Frehley. Uh, I think he probably ceased contributions to Kiss probably 80, 81. I think 82 officially he was out. Um, He had kind of a five-year period of doing nothing. Nobody really heard from him. Of course, Kiss was kind of, you know, taking their makeup off and coming back in that time. But, you know, Ace was kind of missing in action there for a while. In spring or summer of 87, he came out with Fraley's Comet. Um, I think was the name of the band and the name of the album. And I really, really liked that album. I mean, I, the first single was Into the Night, which was a Russ Ballard song. He also wrote New York Groove. So I'm thinking maybe that's why they did that as a first single. Um, I would have probably went with Rock Soldiers just for the simple fact there's a line in there that says Ace is back mm. and I told you so. Very I think that yep. would have been a cool introduction. Um, you know, they had the remnants of Car Jam, which um, Kiss released on Revenge. 
Um, I thought he had a, that Fracture 2 was a good instrumental. I thought it was very, very good. Um, so, you know, it was a good album. I'm like, man, Ace is back. I mean, it, this is a pretty solid album, pretty good rock album. And, okay, so we um, fast forward to May of 88, just uh, over a year later, the second sighting, this was the... And I have to question whether Ace was healthy or checked in, checked out. Contributions were kind of minimal to this album. Um, five to ten songs were written and sung by Todd Howarth, including the first single, It's Over Now, and I just did not like that song as a first single. I did not like the second single, Insane, that Ace sung, and I just overall it's like what happened here it's like he had five years worth of ideas and it just kind of ran out i guess by that second album I, I, his contribution like i said was minimal and i just thought it was a letdown of an album well i bought second sighting when it came out and i i actually liked it when it came out i had i had no problems with it but I didn't think it was as good as the debut. I, I definitely thought the debut was better. But here's a strange thing. As time has gone by, I actually like I actually like this album better than the debut. So it, I, there are some albums where your point of view changes as an adult, right? You got a certain point of view when you're younger, and then as you get older, your your point of view changes. And this is one of those albums. Um, when I was a kid, I didn't really like the Todd Howarth stuff. I just figured, I just wanted to hear Ace. You know, that, this is Ace's band. I want to hear Ace. Exactly. But, but I think now I realize how talented Todd is. And, and I like his voice. I like the songs that he writes. And, and you're right. He I think when I talk with Todd, he... He didn't get too deep into it, but he said that Ace didn't, ha- you know, he was a little under the weather. Or, you know, that was the way he put it. But he, he didn't he didn't bring a lot to the table, so Todd was kind of tasked to put this thing together. Now, see, you say you don't like Insane. I actually like Insane a lot. I actually think that's one of Ace Frehley's coolest solo tunes. All right, I'm excluding the 1978 album. I don't want to get lynched here. But I always thought Insane that's was right. really catchy and cool. And honestly, I wrote down some tracks that I like, man, Dancing with Danger. Time Ain't Running Out. I, I like It's Over Now. I think that's a well-written song. Juvenile, Delinquent, Separate, Fallen Angel. Dude, I almost like, like every song on this album. So uh, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I've got to say I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Second Sighting, man. I don't care. I mean, it's, uh, you know, maybe I need to give it another listen. It just seems light to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't, I don't remember anything being as good as Rock Soldiers. And it may not be, but. You know, I'm kind of going. I have not listened to do, to it in quite a while, but I do know that it uh, it just did not hit me like the first one did. Yeah. But that's why we're here. Yeah, exactly. I think you should go back and check it out. And, and yeah, probably the problem is that Into the Night and Rock Soldiers were so strong, and I don't think the singles were strong. But I, but I still think I, I always liked Insane, man. I, got money, got fame. It's catchy, man. It get, it gets stuck in your head, you know. So cool riff. But what are you gonna do, Fish? We, you know, sometimes people just we, they don't see eye to eye on these albums, you know. Well, yeah, we've had. Us disagreements not too many but you know like i said maybe some of these is a good uh good thing to bring some of these albums up to um maybe give them a second 
second life, second mm-hmm. chance. Well, I'm going to go with a big controversial one right out of the gate. I figure this this will keep the listeners engaged uh, instead of saving it toward the end. The new album, The Crimson Idol, it's a concept album. Could you tell us a little bit about the storyline? Well, it's it's basically, it's an opera. It's a story about a boy who has a really, really terrible home life. And he's, he's really a victim of both physical and mental child abuse. He discovers music, he runs away from home ends up being one of the biggest things the world has ever seen and effectively like this person over here right now is um, the moral of the story is be careful what you wish for because you just might get it I'm going to go Wasp Crimson Idol and um, I know you got a lot to say about this one people are so passionate about this album and love this album I am in the category where I do not love this album so I, I was into Wasp had all the albums Loved Headless Children. I loved where they were going. You know, just a great direction. And I remember hearing about this album. Bob Kulik's going to be on guitar, Frank and Benelli on drums. It's a concept album. You're reading about it. You know, it's not like today where the band's putting out little snippets online. You know, you, di- you didn't know what was going on. You're just being told about it. And I was pretty hyped up. Now, I bought the thing. And to me, man, it was like, it just sounded very different. And honestly, it's never sounded the same again. The band was over, right? So we just mentioned it was different guys in the band. For me, Chris Holmes is a big part of the Wasp sound. I know Blackie writes the songs. I know he's the voice. But there's something about when Chris is there. Steve Riley added a lot to the band, too. Um, Johnny Rod, I, I liked when he was there. Randy Piper. I think all these guys just added some different kinds of dimensions. And I didn't really like it when it was gone. And the thing that drives me crazy, and this is very trivial, I understand, but these tom-toms, okay? Most of these songs, like you start off with the Invisible Boy, there's like a tom, there's tom fills that are just going ape shit through the whole verses, right? And I'm just like, it's so distracting. I know it's stupid, but I hate it. And and unfortunately, there's certain songs that actually just are exact replicas of each other. Like uh, I am I am the one, or I am one, an invisible boy. They almost are like very similar songs. Maybe it's on purpose, but if you don't like the first song, <laughs> then they do it again. It's like the same kind of thing. Uh, it's just not there. I felt like the edge of the band was kind of gone. The the big hooks weren't really there. Uh, I felt like the story was leading the project and not not the music of Wasp. You know, sometimes I think the only band, in my opinion, I'm not saying, okay, maybe not the only band, but the band that nailed the concept album is Queensryche Operation Mindcrime. It's perfect, right? And maybe Blackie saw that album and said, man, I'm going to do my Operation Mindcrime. It just falls flat, okay? All right, that's the negatives. The positives, I like Arena of Pleasure. I think that's a cool song. Chainsaw Charlie, best song on the album, the most Wasp-like song on the album. Um, yeah, Gypsy the meets the boy. The yeah. are incredible. Yeah, the drums. yeah. Oh my god, Gypsy meets the boy. Like to me, that's like it's not a like. This is what happens with certain concept albums. Like they're just not good standalones. Thing with Queen, Back to Queens, right? Eyes of a Stranger. I don't believe in love. Those were standalones. You didn't need the the concept to to get into those songs. Some of those songs on here, it's it's like it's. They're just written to tell a story. They're not a real good, strong standalone song. Doctor Rockter, super generic, and those those damn fills, man. They, they, they make everything sound the same. Uh, but like I said, that's my thoughts on it. There's a couple okay tracks for the most part. I don't dig the new sound. The story is okay, but like I said, the music takes the backseat. And Chris Holmes, 
sadly missed, man. The, the, I think he kind of brought the edge, and it was lost. So that's my thought on the Crimson Idol. All right, here we go. You are big, big, big into saying, what if it was called something else? Well, I mean, you understand this was supposed to be a Blackie Law solo album. Right, exactly. Would that have changed your opinion? Would you have thought differently of it if it was a Blackie Law solo album and not say what? No, I don't think I would have liked it either way. About, but I mean, I know what you're. I know where you're going. Like maybe that's what it should have been. And we go through this all the time. You know, record labels ain't having that. <laughs> you know, Dave Mustaine tried to do it, and uh, and they made him call it Megadeth, and, and the same thing probably happened with Blackie. So I, I know where you're going. Yeah, I mean, it, it could have helped. It could have helped, but I don't think I would have liked it either way. I I, I take Chris model like I'm taking a. It, it reminds me of uh, taking a trip. Uh-huh. Um, different things to see, different things to do. I mean, it is an up and down album. Um, there is no wasp is no longer dangerous. Does that make sense? Yes, this oh, is I not agree a hundred percent. It's not a album that you know the PMRC is going to hold up. I mean, wasp yeah. was the poster child for that when it first started. But um, I like Crimson Idol. I still listen to it. Um, I have not bought the re-released version with, I don't know, another whole CD, but I like the Crimson Model. I'm with you. Um, Headless Children is probably my favorite overall album by them. You know, they kind of went, you know, Forever Free and some stuff like that um, on that that album, but I like Crimson Model. I I still dig it. Um, They kind of started losing me right after this album, the Still Not Black Enough and Hell Dorado and stuff like that. I kind of started losing a little interest in Wasp, but but I I still give Crimson Idol a thumbs up. Nice man, you're not alone. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people love it. What's your What's your next album? Well, interestingly, just kind of brought this up here. Let's go with Queen Strike. Yeah. Um, you mentioned concept albums. Uh, Operation Mindcrime, outstanding. Yep. Outstanding album. Um, just. The story, the songs, the whole thing was just an A plus in my opinion. Queensryche seemed to be one of those bands that were kind of building, building momentum and getting a little better, getting a little better. Um, every album, every tour, songs getting better. Empire came out in 1990 um, and was a massive, huge success. Three million copies. This was their first headlining tour. They went out for two years. I mean, they did. You know, a rocker, they had the rocker, the Jet City Woman, the Empire, they did the ballad, which is Soundless City, of course, was, that's kind of out there for a ballad, but it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, the Best I Can, Another Rainy Night Without You, just love it. You know, that whole album is, is just a keeper. Um, for whatever reason, and I think, you know, being the tour, being um, two plus years, they waited four years to release the in my opinion, disappointing promised land. (laughs) I think the band was kind of burned out at that time. I don't know exactly when Chris DeGarmo checked out. I know, I think maybe he was with them with this album. He was, yeah. Was not with them on the next. I can't remember. But I just did not think the songs were there on promised land. And again, comparing to Empire is probably not fair. Empire was solid from start to finish. But I am I first single kind of mid-tempo, kind of moody. Yeah. Um, the Bridge was a single, kind of an acoustic number, just not as good as Silent Lucidity, acoustic number, and 
I just was a little disappointed in Promised Land. I remember buying it at a cool cover and just listened to it, and I was like, I, I just don't get it. But, you know, four years had passed, and yeah. maybe the band members hated each other at that point, but it just, to me, was nowhere near as good as Empire that preceded it. Hmm. I got to say, man, what the hell? I love this album. <laughs> Um, that's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> and dude, this is this is Queensrÿche's Motley '94, man. You know what I mean? That's why I look at this one. This is them experimenting. And and okay, so I've got a lot of thoughts here. Let me try to calm down and get them all out here. Okay, so um, as you know, Queensrÿche has always experimented. Queensrÿche has not made the same, at least up to this point, they haven't made the same album twice. You know, the Warning, Rage for Order. They're both between those two. It's very different. Then you get to Operation Mindcrime, complete game changer, and then they kind of pop it up a little bit, maybe make some more radio accessible tunes for Empire. So Queensryche is like a chameleon; it's always changing the look, the sound. Uh, so I think yep. that's what they've done here. One major thing that has happened, what you talked about in those four years from '90 to '94, we know what happened, right? Grunge, uh, big, big uh, knock for all bands associated with the '80s, and, and Queensryche was no exception. But I think. I like what they did with this. I think this is the perfect album for 90s uh, Queensryche. You know, it's got great production. I dig IMI, uh, Damaged. It's like that kind of abstract songwriting. It's not It's not very normal. It's definitely nothing like Another Rainy Night Without You. They're definitely going for yeah, something it, different. It know? is not commercial. No. And there's some weird... Like, something about it reminds me of Rage for Order. I can't really put my finger on it. Like, some of that weird stuff so like rage for order has really some choppy weird verses and stuff i feel like some of that's in this uh the bridge i love the bridge man that's really i know it's not silent lucidity but it's a really cool song about the decarmo's relationship with his father it's pretty deep and raw stuff but as you get to the end maybe this is something you need to check out again since you do like empire you get to like my global mind and one more time around, and those really do sound like Empire leftovers. They very much are in line with like the Queensrÿche album that's before it. So, but you have to get through almost the whole album to get those couple tracks, and then someone else that piano song where he just his voice is just soaring. It's really cool, man. I, I love that album. So to me, it was not a letdown. It was kind of a for me. I, I thought it was kind of a cool direct, a cool step up in, in some ways. I know Empire was that huge album, but it's kind of commercial, you know, where this was a little bit more weird and moody, like you said. And I liked it, man. I was I was right in the zone with what they were doing. I was feeling it. So I love this album. More power to you, pal. <laughs> yeah, let, let me say this, and I know that you're going to – this is something that should have been mentioned a long time ago before we even started with talking about these albums, is that nobody goes into these wanting to not like it. You know what I mean? Like back in the day, dude, dude – you spent 17 bucks on that Promised Land CD back in the day. It wasn't like you just streamed it and, and then you could just move on with your life. You were invested, dude. 17 bucks was a lot of money back in 94. And you bought that CD and you played it and you played it and you played it. So we always tried. Nobody, I never wanted not to like an album. I don't think anybody does. You know, you bought it. You love the band. You want to love it. But sometimes it's just, you just, you can't connect to the artist's uh, vision. You know what I mean? It happens. Totally great. What you got next, Mike? Well, let's stick with Queensryche. Uh, this is a, uh, a different version of Queensryche than they heard last time. We seem to have a specialty at changing ourselves around a bit, you know? So uh, this one is is diverse uh, collection of songs, 14 tunes, very different. Um, kind of stripped down in the basic 
uh, foundation of the band, really. Not a, not a whole lot of extraneous overdubbing. It's it's pretty much a a, a stripped down version of the band. This is great because unlike you, I liked the Promised Land. I thought that was a cool album, and I was looking for that next cool thing. Like, what's Queens are going to do now? They, you know, they did this, they did that. I mentioned all the different twists and turns they took. I was like, what are they going to do next? And I'm talking about here in the now frontier. So this was my Queensryche letdown. You maybe you checked out and never even got in it. You know, got this album. I never bought it either. So I'll tell the story of, of what happened. So I'll never forget it. I was hanging with some buddies. I think it was in 1997 or something, and and they had announced. Strangely enough, I give credit to the radio station, local radio station. They were going to play the new Queensrÿche album in full on the radio. So we're like, oh, I can't wait to hear this. So let's go. You know, let's check it out. And dude, it was just garbage. It fell so flat. Um, I mean, I think we were all were like, what the f, man? This is this is awful. Uh, it's a complete strip down. The drums and the guitar are so scaled down, it didn't even sound like Queensryche. And those are the two, besides from Jeff Tate's voice, the two main components, I think, in Queensryche are the, the dual lead guitars and that drum beat. You know what beat I'm talking about. I don't know drums, but oh, like, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. He's got that distinct drum sound and drum beat. And now it just sounded like it could have been Stone Temple Pilots or you know any 90s band. Um it was basically, I call this a sellout that didn't sell. You know what I mean? They were trying, I don't know, I know they used to be managed by the same people as Metallica, so I don't know if they said, hey guys, look what Metallica did with Load. Oh, you could do that. Uh, no, you can't. You know, it just, it didn't work. The songwriting was weak. Um, there's a couple okay songs. Like, I, I do go back and try to give this album a chance every once in a while. Like, Sign to the Times is the first song. I don't know if that was, I think that might have been the single. I don't even know. But um, it's okay. I don't it's okay. And there's another song called Hit the Black, which, if like, once again, if it was done with the proper production and the proper playing that Queen Drake's known for, it might not have been bad. But, um,. This was just a major step down, man. After all the original creative things they had done through their career, um, I just don't like it. So that's all I got to say about that one. I don't know if you ever heard this one. Uh, yeah, I've heard it. Was not really impressed. I didn't like the album in '94 and did not like the album in '97. I'm I'm within a year or so here, but Chris DeGarmo either had checked out or was checking out. He may have worked on this album and not toured. But, you know, he's a big part of their sound, too. I, yeah. I think they missed him. Um, but I don't think he toured for this album. But I, I'm with you. The songs were just not there. No. They just weren't there on this album. And and that's really the bottom line. Yeah. There's no nothing more to say about this. <laughs> what do you got next? All right. I'm going with um, From the Ashes of King Cobra, um, Evolved the Bullet Boys. Yeah, Bullet Boys. Um, Debut September of '88, right in the middle of the era. Perfect at the time. Warner Brothers Records, Ted Templeman, blonde lead singer. They were kind of a poor man's Van Halen. I mean, I, <laughs> yes. I think I recall that being said or read an article with that back in the day. But I thought "Smooth Up In You" I thought was a perfect song for the era. Kind of dirty, kind of sleazy. Kind of, yeah, wink, wink, I know what you mean there. Mm -hmm. um, they followed up with record company favorite, a good cover for The Love of Money uh, by the OJs, and I think that was a good song. Yep. And I can still put on Bullet Boys today. There's not one skippable song on that first album, in my opinion. And I think they got a gold record, maybe a little more than that, out of it. But 
it led me to, you know, one of the bands that I can say were one of my favorites of the era. Well, hell, let's just let's get to the next album. Yep. For whatever reason, a little bit late in the game, they waited three years, and I think Mark had some vocal issues, if I recall, during this time, and maybe there was some downtime, and not quite sure why the delay, but Freak Show came out in March of 91. You're watching the one, the only Headbangers Ball, and we are Bullet Boys. I am the lead screamer of the band. My name is Mark. My name is Lonnie. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Nick. And definitely, we are going to lay down a THC groove for you. And here we go. Woo! Tea time! And it just did not cut it. Um, first single, THC groove. It's a pretty cool song, kind of trippy. Um, Maxing it up against Smooth Up India, it's just not there. No. The songs were not there. They released a cover, Hang On St. Christopher, that did not hit. Another cover, Talk To Your Daughter, that did not hit. And there just wasn't anything else on the album. And I don't think it sold worth a damn, if I recall. But a lot of it was the era. They waited three years, you know. Um, you kind of lose sight of people and move on to new things. Um, especially in summer, spring, summer of 91, things are kind of turning around a little bit. But I thought Freak Show was a definite letdown from the debut. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, they definitely waited too long. They found themselves in a new era that was not <laughs> favorable to bands like the Bullet Boys. They didn't have the same kind of caliber of songs. They chose the wrong singles. And lastly, I didn't even care for the album art. I, I just thought the album art was stupid so so for me it was just a, it was just a yeah there was just nothing going on there for me on that one you know you had that col- that special limited edition with the kaleidoscope that you opened up and it was like a some kind of old camera looking thing it was just an it was just odd it was just you know the guys looked great they were cool still but it just didn't cut it man in my opinion this was a letdown yeah i'm with you so next up for me man is going to be sabotage streets and i was so into to gutter ballet i thought gutter ballet was one of the coolest albums you know it had its really edgy heavy moments and then it would do this piano stuff and then we would mix the piano stuff with the heavy stuff i just thought it was a super smart album cool album so i was so so hyped up and then you know this is all happening once again like with crimson idol after operation now nine this, crime and this, now this is, is a concept yeah, this album, is a concept correct? album right gotta get back So, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm like, I love Sabotage, I love what they did with Gutter Ballet, let, let me check this out. And first of all, I didn't care for the production, and it's weird because it's the same people, it's the same producer, Paul O'Neill, but I don't really care for the production. Um, some of the songs feel forced around the story, same with Crimson Idol, like they couldn't stand on their own without the story. I thought John's voice was a little beat up uh, at this point. And he, he's, when I talked to him, I remember him saying, especially after the Streets tour, like he was done. And that, that would lead us to Zach Stevens coming into the band. So I feel like some of the voice issues were kind of creeping in. And on his voice, some of that bite and some of the edge 
um, even between his voice and some of the music, there's heavy songs, but they don't seem as vicious as stuff of like of rage and war and she's in love and hounds and and all that stuff that they did on gutter ballet. And I feel bad. I want to love this album. I'm sure they put a ton of work into it. Um, I do think some of the songs are cool, but I just can't connect to it. I, I want to like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And what was weird is like you said, like okay. For Queens, right? Promised Land was a dud. Here in the Now Frontier was a dud. You know, I got a little worried about my boys in Sabotage, but like I said, I love Gutter Ballet. Didn't care for Streets. Then we had a nice rebound with Edge of Thorns. So, 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 Sabotage, you know, rebounded for me as a fan. But um, Streets is just one, you know, that's just never gonna be one of my favorites. Well, my contribution to your summary of Sabotage Streets is. The very first Sabotage album I ever purchased was Edge of Thorns. So, um, you know, I remember hauling the Mountain King yep. video, which is kind of stupid, but funny. Uh, Edge of Thorns, I don't recall how I heard that first single, but man, I just thought it was really good. I think Zach Stevens kind of brought a new energy. Um, like you said, Zach Stevens was winding up, yep, but yep. I thought Edge of Thorns was great. And of course, you know, they had, I think, one more album before, um, no, I think this was the last album that, um, that Aviva, uh, Chris, yeah, Chris, Chris Aviva, yeah, yeah, before, he, before yep. he passed away. And yep. I'm one of the bands, I look back and I saw him about three weeks before he had, uh, you know, passed in that car accident, yep. but Edge of Thorns, I thought was a solid album and still like that album, mm-hmm. but I don't know much about what came before. Really, the whole the whole catalog of Sabotage, I'm not as familiar with, but Edge of Thorns is where I picked them up. Yeah, you should go back and listen to Gutter Ballet. I think in a lot of respects, they're structured very much the same. Uh, obviously, it's a different kind of a voice, so, you know, some different kinds of songs, but I think I think the same kind of vibe is there. So you should you should definitely check out Gutter Ballet. But I would say just stay away from streets. <laughs> stay off the streets. <laughs> All right, man. What do you got next? All right. We're going back to Hollywood, going to L.A. Guns. L.A. Guns. Um, their debut early, January of 88. Ended up selling gold. This album absolutely screams the L.A. scene. It does. The dirtiness, the nastiness, sleaziness. Sex action, elected gypsy, just outstanding. Love it. Still listen to it to this day. Cocked and Loaded, August of 89. I think that was so closer to Platinum. Rip and Tear, Never Enough, Ballad of Chain, which mm. is a huge hit for them. Of course, it's got to have the ballad. Yep. A little more polished, but I thought it was a good album. Maybe a, two or three songs too much. Yep. But I real but. Both of those songs, both of those albums, the debut and Cost and Loaded, solid. Here we go again. <clears throat> Summer of 91. They waited, uh, you know, a couple of years, put out Hollywood Vampires. The first single was Kiss My Love Goodbye, and I thought, what in the hell is this? Kind of a mellow, low, mid-tempo song. Yeah. Um, you know, Michael James Jackson produced it. You know, I like that guy, most of the stuff he's ever did. I don't think they just had the songs. Um, they had four or five ballads on this album. I think they were trying to replicate. You know, even the sequencing for this album 
the first album started out Show No Mercy or No Mercy. Yeah. First song. Bam. Second album was um Letting Go slash Slap in the Face. Yep. Bam. Third album started with Over the Edge. Yes. Yeah, I know the yeah. song was used in Point Break, but it's a very slow mid tempo maybe song and it just did not catch my attention right off the bat. I listened to the first single, I was like, Oh, that's kind of a honky tonk song. I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> let me get the album, got the album over the edge was kind of a slower ballad. Not a ballad, but just a slower moody song and I was just like, What happened to these guys? I did not think and I've said this a couple of times, may say it again, I did not think the songs were there for Hollywood Vampires. L.A. Guns. Okay, so it's uh, Hollywood Vampires. It's way stripped down, man. It's way more stripped down than those the first two albums that you mentioned. It's pretty poppy in some spots. Um, but let's face it, they really can't redo Cocked and Loaded in 1991. So they're, I think they're, for the kind of music they play, they're, they're kind of on the right track. You know, I mean, they can't make redo the 80s. It's the 90s. Um, but I think there's some high-quality tunes, man. I, I do like Over the Edge. I always like Some Live for Love. I think that's a wicked cool song. That should have been a single. It's Over Now is is a pretty, you know, it's like a classy ballad, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's got a cool vibe. It, it fits in the 90s. Uh, Here It Comes is decent. Crystal Eyes I like. That's another slow one. But honestly, I, I, this is exactly the same kind of deal as, what was your first one? Did we, what was the first one we talked about? I can't, I'm losing my mind. Oh, oh, Second Sighting. Okay, this is kind of the yeah. same way. I think yeah. I, I like it. I don't think I was super wild about it when it came out, but I actually like it now more than ever. Um, I don't think it's as good as the first two. There's no way. But one thing I'm going to give them is they were always a little bit different, I think, than the other bands. I think they were always a little bit more edgier, punkier, moody, almost could fit in an like an 80s alternative type of like you know there was something about them that even though they were hair metal and glam whatever you want to call them there was something about them that was just a little bit weirder or different than the rest of the bands and i think you really hear that on this album where they really went full on and embraced some of that stuff so i like this one man i know what you're saying i don't think it's as good as cocked and loaded but pretty solid i like to go back and listen to it and then i mean after this it starts to really drop off right i mean vicious circle is pretty cool but you know when they switch singers a million times so you know this might be one of your last greats uh from these guys until until the more recent albums that they've done yeah if we now if we ever do a podcast of bands with most members (laughs) all would probably be up there oh my god man 100 percent, 100 percent. all right let's see what i got up next Let's just go to Judas Priest, man. So uh, I think my year, I I didn't write down my years. You did a good job. You did your dates. I I haven't been throwing my dates out there. I think Angel of Retribution, though, is from 2005. So that's the album that I want to talk about. What are we going to do about this reunion? You know, the vibe was there. It's something we'd all kind of obviously been thinking about and wanting for so long. And uh, like we've said a a lot of times since this question's been asked, in very typically British underplayed, you know, well, do you want to get back together? Well, yeah, I will if you will. Well, come on, let's do it then. And so it was, within minutes of asking that question, everybody had said yes, everybody got in their cars. I was sat in the kitchen with a cup of tea thinking, oh, my God, we've reunited, you know, we're all back together again. The world has no clue what's just happened. 
and that's that's what it was and it was such big news it was on scene and headline news yeah like, I saw it hours later went round the world and it was just the greatest feeling to be reunited and the fans were going ballistic and that's how it all took place right. it's Rob Halford's return it's a return after 15 years you know and this is when the pressure's on right there's a lot of pressure to make the right kind of album and and you basically have to sometimes bands overthink this shit so I would say that this is Judas Priest's Psycho Circus and Psycho Circus is coming my friends let me tell you it's coming but um <laughs> after that better be last <laughs> yeah I'm saving it last okay so after Halford's resurrection, I thought resurrection by him was great. I mean, that should have been a priest. I would have loved to have heard that album with him, with, with those songs, with the Judas Priest style there. But I thought resurrection was great. I thought Jugulator and Demolition weren't bad either. So when when I hear that Rob's coming back and they're going to combine forces, and when you think about it, Fish, think about the last album that Rob Halford did with Judas Priest is Painkiller. So I don't know if you like yep. Painkiller, but Painkiller to me was like their shining moment. I love Painkiller. I I really got heavy into Judas Priest around Painkiller, and then you know obviously I had some of the ones before that, but that was really the one that registered with me was Painkiller. So the expectations for me uh, for this were very high, and I think for the fans as well. Judas is rising. That's the first song. It's kind of like token Judas Priest. You know, what I mean it's just it's forced. Doesn't seem very original. It's got a double bass that just keeps going through the whole song, but it, it almost feels like the song is still slow, even though with the, the the double bass. Deal with the devil's cool. Revolution, man. There's a song called Revolution. It sounds exactly like Ocean Size by uh, Jane's Addiction. So right off the bat, I'm like, come on, man. Like, do they not know that this is Jane's Addiction? Um, so it just doesn't work. There's a there's a cooler uh, like a mid tempo song worth fighting for, which I like, but. Um, I was just hoping for Painkiller too, man, and this is not it. I don't hear the hooks. I think most of their material has always had catchy hooks, whether it be Living After Midnight, You've Got Another Thing Coming, um, uh, Touch of Evil like from Painkiller. There's some catchy, catchy stuff, man, that they've done in the past, and I'm just not hearing it on this one. The double bass stuff is just boring. It just keeps going and going and going, but it really doesn't go anywhere for me. So this one was a letdown. I really was hoping for something different from them, and I think they, I don't know if they were sh- sh- too sure of what was going on, what they what they were supposed to do. What Were they supposed to make like a old school Priest album or were they supposed to make like Painkiller 2? I don't, I don't know if they really knew. And let's face it, bands are kind of bound to whatever songs they're kind of writing at that moment. You know what I mean? So I guess that was the best they had in the arsenal between all the guys. I know Glenn Tipton and, and Rob write most of the songs. So that's the best they had. I mean, they, they did what they could with it. But to me, it's not one I ever go back and want to listen to. So Here's another short summary. I've never heard this album. <laughs> okay, um, easy. I kind of miss the new wave of British heavy metal, the Iron Maiden, Judas Priest. I never really connected with those guys. Not that I don't like them. I'm just not a huge fan of that era. But I do remember it was heralded as Rob Halford's return 15 years. And and um, I don't, that's probably the last I remember of it. But I, obviously it did not do what you thought it should do. Right. But, uh, it, you know, Rob Halford is a metal god. I mean, right. He's just one of those singers, and Judas Priest is one of those bands. And um, you may, I guess, assuming you was expecting better, 15 years reunion, quote-unquote, everybody uses the reunion angle. 
But um, honestly, I have never heard this album. Well, I would say don't bother. <laughs> what, what's your What's your next one? All right, we're going to the Boys of Slaughter. Slaughter. Um, uh, of course, this began with Vinnie Benson Invasion. Yeah. Um, Vinnie was a dick. Um, <laughs> Slaughter, basically, Dana and Mark took over the contract with Chrysalis, and I think, which I always thought was kind of odd, but Chrysalis, I think, saw something in Slaughter, and maybe it was the songs, probably the look. You know, as much as I loved the first Vinnie Vincent, Ace, Vinnie Vincent Invasion album, that thing was wild. It, it's not commercial, but it no. just was a wild solo for that. Second album I thought was a little weak. Moving forward, you know, this came out in January of 1990. I mean, the, the, the 86 to 90 era was pretty solid, but this was kind of late in the game, to be honest with you. It was. But nonetheless, it was a great debut. They're very, they toured with Kiss on their Hot in the Shade. Kiss was kind of, they made a pretty good comeback of Hot in the Shade. That was a good tour. It was. Um, pretty good album as well. They did 100, 125 shows with Kiss. I mean, they sold two million copies of this ba- of this album. Five hundred thousand. They got a um, a gold record, their very first show, if I recall. Wow. Hoping not for Kiss, but you had the Rocker up all night, and you had the Ballad, Flight of the Angels, couple additional singles released. Everything worked, and again, maybe it was because it was nineteen ninety, but I. Still dig the first Slaughter album. Yep, me too. Moving ahead to summer of 92. The no theme didn't relate to this era. And I have went back and I remember this, but it, it really, once I started looking at it a little closer, this is the most carbon copy ripoff of one album to the other that I think I've ever seen. <laughs> I think they looked at Stick It To You and said, we're going to do the exact damn thing we did and we're going to make the exact same album. But unfortunately, times had changed. Yeah. Um, but it was basically the same formula. Um, you know, you had your lead-off single, Up All Night and The Wildlife. kind of had the, those weird kind of effects yeah. in there. That, um, then you had um, a ballad and then another ballad. Real Love was their ballad. Yeah. Just didn't work. It felt kind of fake. You know, they had a regular version of a song, an acoustic version of the same song, which, of course, was Fly of the Angels on the first album. Days gone by, they did the exact same thing on the second <laughs> album. This album sold like crap, and it was, <laughs> they were done. Christmas dropped them after this album. They released, of course, they're still out there. Most of these bands are. But I was so let down with the wildlife. I just thought it was just a, just a huge, huge disappointment. I agree with you 110%, man. The, the Slaughter debut was just so epic, so slick. And this one didn't have the hooks. It didn't have the big sing- singles. Um, one thing I will say, when you go back and listen to it, it's definitely rawer than um, 
it's a little more raw than the the, the album before it, um, and it's probably deliberate. Yeah. You know, we're in the '90s, but honestly, it's like not in a good way, is is where, the way I look at. It. Because when I look at like <laughs> when I look at Kiss Revenge, okay, that's a raw album, but it it sounds good. You like this album doesn't really even sonically sound good to me. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it was an inferior production. I, I don't really know what was going on there. Like you said, a lot of generic tunes. You know, I, I think the song "The Wildlife" is so generic and so cheesy. I remember hearing that. I think that might was was the lead off single, and I'm just like, what the hell, man? This is no good. Um, I do like "Real Love." I thought "Real Love" was pretty cool, but it was a total. It's a total '80s sounding song. Yeah, it's a t- but it's total '80s. Like it, it sounds like it could have been from 1985, and maybe it was. <laughs> I want to say. Some of these songs were kicking around for some early Mark Slaughter band. I want to say Out for Love or something. That I think that song was kicking around for some early band. But I think Slaughter honestly fell to the curse of the big debut. You know what I mean? A lot of times you get that big debut, the lightning strikes right at the beginning. Now, now it's it's kind of always sometimes it's like downhill from there. So and, and once again, trend change didn't help. But this album, I, even this, if this album came, if the debut came out in 88 and this came out in 90, I don't think this would have been as big as the debut, no matter what, no matter what year it was. No, I, the first one was just so popular. I think it just appealed to everybody. And I think, um, of course, you know, it's like the perfect storm, the first tour and, you know, uh, you know, all these albums they sold and, you know, Kiss was coming back around, big tour, big attendance and um you know it just it was just a huge disappointment in my book i just thought it was formula and it was not in the good way it was just the same old same old um i think the first album is much superior to the wildlife I agree, man. Well, my next one, and I feel like I've talked about this album before, probably on uh, a couple of different episodes, because, you know, a lot of these can kind of cross paths, whether if you do an al- a podcast about the year of an album or if we do a, you know, a top whatever list of, of a band. But um, I got Yngwie Malmsteen Eclipse, and once again, I would always buy the Yngwie albums without hearing a lick. And this one, to me, just sounded real thin, and I wasn't completely so- sold on Goran Edmund. Uh, the problem was is we just had Joe Lynn Turner with Odyssey, and it was so good. It was like a, a magical combination. Ingve and Joe Lynn, man, really good songs, you know, great voice, everything's there. And this was just like, I don't know, the whole band was different, the different voice. The songwriting was okay, but it was, was kind of generic as well. Uh, so I, I didn't like the thin production. Uh, the vocals, I, even though I do like him, I've had him on the podcast. He's a great guy, and I really do like Fire and Ice a lot. But I think it was just like the shell shock of losing Joe Lynn Turner and being so into that album, and then coming to this. It was it was definitely tough. But I will say, I still it's still not one of my favorites. But I do like it a lot better than I did when it came out. Um, I think it starts off with some real cheesy generic songs like his wannabe. I call them wannabe hits. Like he's trying to write a hit, but they're not hits. You know, they didn't do anything. But um, the rest, yeah. there, there's some good stuff. Devil in Disguise, Judas, What Do You Want, Fault Line. Those are a couple that I wrote down that, that I do really like and I think are pretty good songs. So there's a few cool songs, but I think at the time, if we're going with the theme of being let down, like this this album let me down. I would agree with that. Um, uh, just if you weren't going to mention it, um, Jolene Turner, of course, huge name, huge vocals, Odyssey, the album before, 
much more commercial sounding, but it was good. It wasn't, you know, four instrumentals and talking about dragons and all that stuff. I mean, it was just a good <laughs> album. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought Eclipse, it was kind of weak. I'm yeah. agree with you. Um, you know, Odyssey sounded so much different, and, you know, I don't think Yngwie's the best person to work with from yeah. everything I've read and heard through the years. And maybe Geraldine Turner said one album's enough, or maybe it was vice versa. Yeah. But coming off Odyssey, I think it was it was realistic to expect another good album, and Eclipse was just not it. Nope. Nope. Definitely falls flat, man. Wow. Let's hear it. This is your last one. You're going to go out with a bang. Let's hear it. Here we go. Now, this is our third podcast together. We did a 1994 Motley Crue podcast. Did. We did a six bands that should have been bigger and all mine were better than yours. <laughs> but, without question, you know if I can work this in, I'm going to work it in. Yeah. And I'm going to put in Motley Crue, 1994. Um, no explanation necessary for me. People can pull out the first pod. We talk, actually, that was a really, really good um, discussion we had. I think it worked yeah. We went into a lot of different things. I mean, it was, uh, you know, but in my opinion, you can't overstate the greatness of this album. And what followed is I'm still trying to figure out Generation <laughs> Swine. And I know how you feel about this album. You, you're, you're okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the big... Um, Red flags on this was Bob Rock being fired, or maybe he quit. That's another one of those <laughs> he said, she said yeah, kind of things. Yeah, he and, quit. It's a good and Bob, Rock, <laughs> and Bob Rock is, that's like producing royalty. Yep. I mean, he has made some great albums. How do you fire that guy and replace him with a Scott Humphrey who was known as a music programmer? Yeah. I, don't, I didn't get that. Um, I think that led to the dysfunction, you know, we mentioned this, I think Motley was, you know, you know, what, what were they trying to do on this album? Who were they trying to be? I think we mentioned that briefly. It was not commercially, did not do any better, maybe even worse than the 1994 album. The sales didn't really, you know, the the quote unquote reunion with Vince Neil. Exploded on the music scene 17 years ago and have been shaking the rock world ever since. Their new CD, Generation Swine, just hit the stores, is selling out within minutes. And please welcome for their first national morning show appearance, Motley Crue. Well, I just can't believe they broke up the band with Karabi to produce Generation Swine. I mean, I I find that about unlistenable. <laughs> but everybody knows how I feel on the opposite right. with 1994. But, you know, Generation Swine did not cut it for me and has not cut it and will never cut it. Um, but that's just that's just who I am. Well, first of all, let's just say I, I knew that this, this would be on your list. And, you know, what wouldn't be a letdown to Motley 94? I mean, Dr. Feelgood could follow Motley 94 and you'd, t- you'd say it was crap. <laughs> Yeah, 
Well, it was crap anyway. <laughs> but uh, man, I you know I love this album. I, I it, let's we'll kind of set the pace in 1997. I was enjoying some of the electronic stuff and the industrial stuff. So when my band comes out and they're dabbling into this, it's like awesome. It's like my 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 band crew, man. Back with Vince, and once again, you know I love the Motley '94 album. It's it's a definitely a cool detour uh, in the band's uh, career. But uh, I grew up with Vince Neil and Motley Crue. It was the first concert I ever went went to. It was my first favorite band, and Vince Neil's always been my favorite guy in Motley Crue. So it's like I just dig his voice. I, I'm not not necessarily live, but I like his voice in the studio. And I I always thought like you know that like this is this this is my band, man, and I wanted to see him be successful. So I liked all the promotion even though a lot of it fell flat and it didn't do much but there was a lot of hype and they played the american music awards they were on regis and kathy lee they they're all over the place you know so i thought it was a cool time one thing i'm gonna say man is i think afraid is a perfect tune i really like that song and let's just when Mot, when uh, motley when eddie trunk did his top 20 list he even actually put this on there so a lot of people realize that afraid is a pretty cool song man it's a cool like 90s you know sensibility pop metal song i guess that's the best way to put it so i think they've done they did some cool things uh with this album but it is it's all over the place um i always liken this to the like this is like motley Crue's white the white album by the beatles you you know i'm not trying to say it's of the same caliber but but like you know ringo's got to have this this song where he's you know singing this and george has got to do this and we're going to do this experiment and this experiment we're going to do you know a bunch of noise for revolution number nine so i kind of feel like this is it's like inflated album there's just too much stuff on there um, and it just didn't work. I think what would have worked, actually nothing probably would have worked. It was 1997. Everybody hated Motley Crue's yeah. Guts. I think the fans probably wanted to hear like a new tattoo type of an album uh, with this Vince reunion, but instead Vince got the, the pleasure or displeasure of singing on material that he wasn't really involved with, that wasn't meant for him. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this. So, so here's the big question with this one. If this album was pretty much just as it was, but it had John Karabi singing on it. What would you think of it? Oh, you need what-if questions. You love some what-if questions, my <laughs> friend. I, I can't separate the two. I can't yeah. separate power to the music from glitter. I, it, yeah. I just can't do it. Um, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you, I know 94... 1994 was considered a commercial flop. Would right. you consider this a commercial flop? Oh my God, yes. It probably at a, at a larger proportion because there there was, I mean, there was some hype with Motley 94. You got to get a new singer, but I think there was actually more hype for this album. You know, everybody burying the hatchet and getting back together. So I think this even commercially fell even flatter than 94 for sure. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's just not one of my favorites, but you know, I'm going to find a way to work Karabi and 94 into everything we do if I can. <laughs> I know, man. Well, so, so I started this whole conversation with Ace Freely, and where are we going to end it, my friend? We're going to end it with Kiss, man. Psycho Circus. <laughs> I know there's people that are going to have my back on this one. So let me, I got a lot written here, so let, let, me, let me try to blow through it real quick. The song Circus. 
great song. They had me fooled, man. I thought this was Kiss. I didn't know this was Ghost guys playing. <laughs> you know, this uh, this almost had me fooled. This is a cool song. It, it's like it's the it's the original band in the modern era. It sounds pretty cool. And I think it, it is an it's an it's an awesome opener. It no is no question. And, and they play it to this day, you know. So there's there's something to be said about that. But I feel like once we get to within the Houston, we've got a problem. Like it, it already starts to have a problem. Like within sounds like. Carnival of Souls leftovers, at least for the verses. You know, what I mean, all that backward stuff. Gene singing like he's, you know, he's in a grunge band or something. It's just not giving me that old Kiss vibe. The chorus is pretty cool, but other than that, it's not great. Uh, Pledge Allegiance uh, to rock and roll is pretty cool. I like the chorus. It reminds me of something that would be on yeah. Revenge. Like it's got that kind of, you know, that 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 strong beat and everything. Uh, that's pretty cool. Into the Void is great. That's probably the best song, one of the coolest songs on the album. It, it really gives you that feeling of Old Kiss. I think it's the only song they actually all really play on. But, you know, it's really cool. And then I feel like after that, we've got a massive drop-off, and it never really rebounds, you know. We are one. Once again, this is not the Gene Simmons stuff that I want to hear on this reunion album. This sounds like something that should be on a solo album from 78 or something. Maybe, maybe even worse than something that's on a solo album from 78. It's just really hokey and cheesy. And I, yeah. I want like some demon songs. Like, uh, okay, do you know the song um, Sweet Dirty Love off of his solo album? Asshole. Yeah. Okay, that was supposed to be on this album, but I don't know, Bruce Fairburn or somebody didn't like it. That, to me, has like an old Kiss vibe. These songs do not. So I don't know what the hell they were trying to prove. Like, did they think they were going to get like a hit song in the 90s with Kiss? Like, you know what I mean? I, and what was going on with music? I don't know, man. Um, you are, you, let me just, I, this is the main one I have to focus on. You wanted the best. Worst Kiss song ever. It is the worst Kiss song, in my opinion, ever. It is the most stupidest chorus that I've ever heard. You wanted the best. You know what I mean? It's like, what? Like basically, he just took. Hey, let's make a song uh, based after the tagline that they say when we start our shows. But it, but it's not good. <laughs> you know I mean? It's got to be catchy and like have a cool hook. It's not. Um, it, the song is just an excuse to throw all four voices into one song. It's it's not a good song. Um, and then we get to raise your glasses. Okay, I don't mind the verses. The chorus is the cheesiest thing I've ever heard, dude. It sounds like a Wheaties commercial. Standing proud because we're the champions. I'm like, what the hell is this? It's the corniest shit I've ever heard. And then we've got the forced, found, finally found my way to you, man. And we got to give Peter a ballad. It sucks. It's just, it doesn't sound, there's so many pieces of this album. When you talk about like Slaughter was trying to orchestrate an album, Kiss was trying to orchestrate Destroyer, right? When you go back to Psycho Circus, it's got the dual lead thing like like Detroit Rock City, right? We got the Slow Peter song. like, But they fail, dude. They fail miserably. It's not even on the same wavelength. And Dreamin's okay, but that journey of a thousand years, come on, once again. just These, these are the most lame Gene Simmons songs. And, when, and, and I've always said, I just said it in the last podcast, the 1992 one, and we talked about Revenge. Revenge is the last great Kiss album, in my opinion. And you know what makes it so good? Gene is spot on. When Gene is spot on, you got a you got a jammer right there. When he's not, yeah. it's going to be spotty. Paul's going to carry you with some cool singles and stuff, but but you got to have Gene on board, man. Um, I just yeah, think he, he he's kind of the heartbeat. I, mean, I understand Paul gets the credit. He yeah. kept Kiss going in the eighties when Gene was doing thirteen different things. Um, but Unholy was the first single that Gene sung since um, I Love It Loud. Yep. 
back in 82. Um, so it's it been quite a while. You know, the reunion tour got everybody going. That led to a reunion album. The hype was, you know, Super out of control. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of hype about this album, Psycho yeah. Circus. Um, you know, and it's not, you have your diehards that, that go crazy over Kiss albums, but there was a lot of publicity about this album. The first album they played on since, was it Dynasty, maybe? Or, right. you know, I think they, people started checking out about that time in and out of the band. Yep. But, uh, you know, I remember one thing I, I saw was a Rolling Stone review, and they liked it. Wow. And I thought, that's trouble. That's not good. <laughs> I know. That, that's not good at all. You know, yeah, I think it is Kiss's highest charting album ever. I think it come in at three. Yeah. But the, I, I think it was destined to fail. I think the hype was too big. It's basically a Gene and Paul album. Yeah. And... Uh, you, both of us love Kiss to our dying day, but this, I don't think, had a chance with uh, what was, you know, the reunion tour was incredible. Right. And the reunion album, I think people were kind of expecting the same thing. Um, Psycho Circus, I'm with you, is a great single, um, great first song, great lead-off song. Yep. I kind of like the the message of You Wanted the Best. It just, yeah. it didn't, I mean... You know, make up or break up. You've seen better days. I mean, I kind of like that defiant kiss attitude yeah. with things, but it did not have. This will be the last time I'll say this. It did not have the song. No, it just did not, and it felt bloated. Yep, it, yet there was only ten songs. Actually, <laughs> the reverse of Psycho Circus was in your face. That eighth song, which I thought was a pretty good song. That Me was, too. That was the, that yeah. was the, but that did not make the album. So it's crazy. Um, I don't know if uh, the producer had anything to do with this, but um, and of course I've got Psycho Circus and and it, just like most Kiss fans do, but I think it was destined for trouble as soon as the reunion tour that first night in Detroit when it sold out in five minutes forty. 50,000 seats. Everybody knew an album was coming at some point, and I just think there was, uh, it didn't have a chance. Yeah, uh, a couple last thoughts on it. I just think they were, you know, they were trying too hard to give the fans what they thought the fans wanted, you know what I mean? And uh, it just didn't work. They, Like you said, they didn't have the songs, they didn't have the good ideas. Let's face it, it's, it's 25, 30 years later, or however many years it was, 20, you know, let's just like 20 years later, um, and they're different now. You know what I mean? They didn't have that energy. And I think they had the wrong producer. It was Bruce Fairburn. And, you know, I don't, like I said, when you hear songs like Sweet Dirty Love, uh, they tried to bring back um, It's My Life, which is a really cool song. Yeah. And, Love uh, that song. Yeah. And then that Sweet sweet Dirty Love, um, In Your Face, and It's My Life. If you kind of swap out a couple of the duds and throw those on there, you might have something that people would like a little better. But, yeah, you know, just uh-huh. I think it was overthought. Too forced, and it failed. Nothing much else to add to that, my friend. <laughs> well, man, we made good time. We got right through it in about an hour. That's kind of what I was expecting. Uh, professionals. You know, that's what we are, professionals. <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> well, as always, I appreciate your time, and I hope you have a good night. Do the same. Later, brother. Take care, brother. Yep, talk to you. Bye. Well, it's always great chatting with A-Fish. I hope you enjoyed. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Rock on!